Welcome to Married to Who, a podcast where a couple of couples watch Doctor Who for the very first time. My name is Jake. With me are some of those couples. Cody, Sam, Alex, no Jill. Terry's here. This week, we're here to talk about The Web of Fear, written by Mervyn Heisman and Henry Lincoln, directed by Douglas Canfield, aired February 3rd through March 9th, 1968. Before we get started, it is time for everybody's favorite podcast segment, Cody's 60-second plot synopsis. Are you ready to go? Our heroes are traveling through space and time, but then there's a web of fear on the TARDIS. And then the TARDIS is like, all right, here we go. We're going to go into the subway. And once they're in the subway, Colonel Etheridge-Stewart and then also Colonel Etheridge-Stewart. You see them go through the hallway to Colonel Etheridge-Stewart. And then Colonel Etheridge-Stewart says, we're going to do some things. And then Colonel Etheridge-Stewart tells them that there's a fungus. And then they see the fungus. And then Colonel Etheridge-Stewart is also there. And also, Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart starts to become in charge of everybody, but then the staff guy dies, but then Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart is like, we're going to figure this out, guys. And then Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart is also in this part of the show, and there's a couple episodes where Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart is in it. And then the Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart says, we're going to blow this shit up, and then the Yetis start to attack everybody. And then they find out it's actually the great intelligence, and the Yetis have guns that shoot webs, and the Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart is like, oh no. And then the doctor's like, I crossed the wires, Jamie. And Jamie's like, no, it doesn't matter, you're a hero. And then the doctor's like, okay, that's great. And then the pyramid explodes. And then Time. They... nailed it. Colonel Lethbridge Stewart. Wait, what was the colonel's name? <laughs> yeah. Lethbridge Stewart. <laughs> Does that show up until episode four? Oh, yeah. CLS for sure. <laughs> you immediately just call every soldier <laughs> Lethbridge Stewart. Everybody's like, you just talked about the first two episodes. So guess what? I talked about episode four. You're welcome. <laughs> Boom, dum. <laughs> All right, before we move on, we play a little game here where these nerds try to guess where some other nerds put this story on a list of stories. The 50th anniversary edition of Doctor Who magazine. Oh, we should have texted Jill. Made her play still. Did you watch it? She did not. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Good for her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Terry, I believe, is in the lead. I did... Or there was a change. Oh no, Alex is in the lead now. Yeah. The last one that I edited that I just put up yesterday fucking or the baller. day before. Um the most recent one I put up Abominable Snowman, I think. Terry was off by like a million. Oh, what? Oh no, that and was Alex true. Passed that was true. <laughs> I I also went through and wrote down every how often everyone got first place and last place. Oh, God. Uh, I'm winning. <laughs> I'm winning in the losing bracket, well, Jake. I don't have that on me. But yes, you do have the most last places. Uh, Jill, like, doesn't have a ton of first places, doesn't have a ton of last places. She's just smack in the middle all the time. But, Alex, you are at the lead now. Where on this list did the web of fear fall? Oh, before you guys go, I told 
Alex and Terry this, so it's only fair I tell you. This is the other story that was found alongside Enemy of the World. And so it was September 2013 when they announced these. So I I had it in my head that that's the reason Enemy of the World jumped up so much is because people were able to see it. I don't know if that timeline works out. So I also had it in my head that this one, because Enemy of the World went up the most, that this one went down the most. Surprise. But looking at the list, it stayed exactly where it was in 1998. It oh. is in the exact same spot. So that is a hint that is not actually a hint at all. So Alex, <laughs> go ahead. I'm going to say 36. Fuck you. Yeah, fuck me, Terry. <laughs> uh, so Terry sounds like, uh, you know, you don't, you're not omitted from saying 36 just because he did. Oh, well, I was, I'm going with 31. He's just too close to me. <laughs> Sam, I believe even though you have the most losses, you're still ahead of Cody, because I think yes. he has the worst losses. <laughs> so why don't you go next? the perfect number of losses. 80. Cody, you sticking with the right down the middle plan? 93. 11. Oh. They're Ooh. all wrong. Uh. 1140? <laughs> How many are they? Cuz drop it way down. I was I was bringing it down. I'm with them. This is an 11 story. 100%. It is really good. So good. You people. We have different definitions fucking of insane. really good. Did you watch <laughs> you people. the episodes? Yeah. What the are hell? Out of your Hardly. mind. I tried. Okay, we're going to do something we never do. We're going to we let fight. Terry go first. What? <laughs> Terry, why is this one so good? I love the uh, mystery part of it, of just that every character near the end, like uh, episode five on, is like it all of... Okay, so sorry. Let me start over. <laughs> the... At the beginning of it, you're introduced to all these people, the scenario of these yetis that we've seen before. You're seeing Traverse again. It's like, fuck, what the hell is going on? And then the people get trapped there. And then as people are just dying out and the yetis are taken over, you're trying to figure out who is the puppet for the great intelligence. And you're seeing all these people just disappearing and then reappearing. And it's like, how the fuck did you get out of that situation? And how did you get back into here? And weren't you dead? And it's, it's super fun. Cause it just screws with your brain of just like, Oh, this guy is just a piece of crap. He's definitely got to be it. And it, no, he's just, that's his personality. And he's just terrible, <laughs> a terrible person, terrible soldier. And he's fine. And it's like the one you love is the bad guy. It's like, no. <laughs> and I, I loved it so much. It was, it was super fun. Well, he is just the driver. I know. I, Apparently. I do not like him at all. <laughs> Driver of our hearts. All right, Cody. Counterpoint. Okay, this is just a giant mess of a whole shitload of different ideas slapped together under the guise that these have been done before, and hopefully this will look great together. Respectfully, the mystery part, okay. I don't think anybody was fucking caught sideways by the guy who we saw die, came back to life, was the bad guy. 
because that's all the fucking intelligence does is just hold bodies alive. We've seen it before. I don't know how that was fucking surprising to anybody. Oh, eh, okay, I'm really tired. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it. On the DVD, the making of documentary, someone does say, like, in these base under siege stories, you need something to set them apart. And what this one has is that mystery. Um, <clears throat> I believe I heard someone compare it to The Thing, where you know that someone's a double agent or someone is the alien, and but you don't know who it is. So everyone's paranoid. Nobody's talking to each other. Uh, the audience is supposed to think that it's that reporter dude, and then maybe it's the captain, and then, you know, all this shit's going on. People are just finding the... the yeti little statues in their pockets and maybe you know, Lethra Stewart just shows up out of fucking nowhere just as everything goes bad I will disagree with you there Cody I think the mystery part is you know exciting enough when when that dude shows up after he's supposedly dead I wasn't like oh it's definitely him I was like fuck yeah that dude's fucking Rambo I like this guy now because <laughs> I'm an idiot <laughs> uh alex jake you are not an idiot i also felt that way like i liked staff before he died and then when he died i was like oh and then he came back i was like dude what a fucking bro like mm -hmm. he was he was just the ultimate soldier i was so hype about it <laughs> and then uh yeah the like the mystery was so good the um I will say one critique I had is it really did feel like they had maybe two feet of that tunnel uh, set and they used the fuck out of it, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was fine. It was fine. Um, man, it, yeah, it was a good, good story. It moved. It didn't seem like it lagged. The only thing that was kind of killing me was the second episode. Um I guess mine was a recon. I don't know if there was a setting I could have chosen where it wasn't that, but no. Okay. Yeah. That was kind of tough. Um, there's a lot of phone <laughs> screen on that. When we get to the part where I tell you what the animation looked like, you're going to be happy. You had a recon. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'll take that, but either way, even with that, <laughs> like I, I really do agree. This is number 11. 100%. This was such a good story. It was a banger. It was fun. Um, since you were talking about Staff, Jack Wolgar, Staff Sergeant Arnold, uh, there's an awesome part in the making of documentary where his son is on there. And so, like, his accent through the whole episode is like a Yorkshire accent. And that's not his regular accent. He was born and raised in London. And so at the end, when he's like, being the great intelligence that's his regular speaking voice oh shit and, i didn't you know, even very yeah so his son found all these recordings his dad bought like a reel-to-reel -reel audio recorder and would do voices for his acting roles into the recorder and like listen to him back and to teach himself how to do accents and back then this reel-to-reel -reel had to have been insanely expensive but he had audio of his dad practicing the accent for this story and going through like different iterations of it it was really cool that and how is awesome cool. is that being able to like listen to your dad work like from the grave <laughs> and like connect to him in that way yeah that's really cool and i didn't even mention deborah watling thighs in the first act like oh boy that was mm, choice 
it a hundred percent. I was expe- I totally forgot Jill wasn't going to be here today. Uh, I a hundred percent expected that to be the first thing she brought up because it has been every <laughs> other episode. Say, Deborah has been in. T- talk on this every single time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, Sam, you go ahead before well, uh, we get one, into... one more thing. Um, I really did enjoy watching Deborah and her dad act together, and when they were in scenes, I kept. Mm-hmm feeling they were father and daughter but they weren't like it was the father and the other lady is the daughter and it it's was... got to be so weird like in, the, in that first episode where they meet him and he's like you're his actual daughter but that lady's playing his daughter yeah <laughs> it, yeah it was fucking like me i know up. they're professional actors but it's still got to be weird mm-hmm. um but apparently she couldn't stop laughing the whole time because it was ridiculous old age makeup <laughs> yeah but he's still incredible that was that was fun to watch those two on screen sam all right is it a precursor is that what i want to say we have been gone all week for a conference working from like 7 a.m till 5 p.m and then having like everyone works from 7 to 5 <laughs> morale well then we had morale stuff until midnight to 2 a.m every night Yowza. which is like half of half of the conference is getting to know other people so um we're running on a lack of sleep and lack of time to watch this so that might have been part of us not liking this story you flew didn't you we did watch it on the way back but when we've been drinking and not sleeping all week how, <laughs> how well do you think that well went Jake it didn't go well for us okay <laughs> So we tried real hard on the flight back to watch it, but um, I fell asleep through the recon episode. Is that what it's called? Recon mm-hmm. episode? And sure. had to rewatch that one later. It was just a mess. God, if only we had like two weeks in between episodes. <laughs> if only I didn't have something going on literally every day of my life. <laughs> We're all busy. Point. I know. But I think, th- I think that's the part um, that really drug us down on this story maybe we would have liked it more had um you know we had given it more than two days and that that lack of sleep time to watch it it was interesting because it is colonel lethbridge stewart's first episode and i thought that it would be pretty highly rated because of that i did really really like the idea of the fungus and the cloud and all of the um shots with the fungus, where it's like rolling through the doors and like rolling the down BBC the tunnel. The BBC phone machine. Okay, I <laughs> absolutely did love that portion of it, and I—that's what I wanted it we, all to be about. They, we will see it again very soon. I didn't the want BBC yetis. Phone machine. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> okay, I could have done without the yetis. I'm done with the yetis and the beeping and the beeping. Yeah, the beeping, the beeping was a real bad. Like even just from like a narrative standpoint it's a terrible design flaw to announce your arrival with this constant beeping the great intelligence ain't so intelligent (laughs) but i like i said i think i would have liked it more i just didn't have the energy for it this week um i will say one of the reasons i like this one so much is the pacing of it um, another thing you need in these six-parters, the really good ones, always have something in episode four that like flips the story and makes it different. So like in Enemy of the World, which everybody here liked, in episode four, that's when we learned about like the basement people. 
and then it becomes a, a different story. And then that's when the the lady in that one, the main character, she discovers them and goes down there. And now it's like uh, all the stories that we've been seeing are converging. And in this one, that's when the Brig shows up, or the Colonel in this one. He'll be the Brigadier the next time we see him. <laughs> Getting that promotion. <laughs> yeah, the, the next time we see him in in the Doctor Who timeline, it's five years later on Earth. But uh, that that's when he shows up. And then we get like a whole episode of just like action and a bunch of stunt performers and a lot of, you know, fun military stuff that little kids just eat that shit up. Dude, I was eating that shit up. <laughs> and that's the um, that's the stunt team Havoc, which will create a partnership with Doctor Who in the third Doctor's era and be be around a lot. We'll get to know a lot of those guys. Like the stunt team is called Havoc? Yeah, their company that they, you know, they're a stunt team for TV and films. They're just, they're called Havoc. And uh, yeah, they start, so the third Doctor's era is a lot of unit stuff. So there's a lot of soldiers like falling off buildings or jumping out of moving cars. And, you know, it's a lot more action based during the first few seasons of the third Doctor. Alex, you're talking about the, the set for the tunnel. Yeah. They originally wanted to shoot in the actual underground. But the London Transport Authority, or whatever it's called there, they told them, yes, you can do that for this amount of money, which was way too much money. And you can only shoot from like 2.30 to 5 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) And so they were like, okay, we'll just just build it in a studio. And it looks so much like the real one that when they aired it, the transport authority sent them a letter accusing them of secretly filming <laughs> oh when they were closed. Oh my gosh, that's, that's the best story. That's awesome. And on the making of documentary, they're interviewing Fraser Hines in the real underground. And, uh, you know, it was closed and he was just sitting there. And But it, it looks... Like just like it, it's crazy. Well, good job on the on the set and design. Then, damn, that's awesome. Uh, he he even says in the interviews, like this is the kind of thing that now they would just make a special BAFTA for it and just give it to the set designers. Yeah, there's a lot of nooks and crannies in their subway. Holy shit, there's like a room apiece. Stuff. Beep. Charlie's Beep. a bitch. Beep. Beep. Should I just do that half the episode since that's what Please. they do half the episode? <laughs> it's the same treatment. <laughs> She's going to say something. <laughs> oh, Chorley, is that the reporter guy? Yeah. yeah, it's the journalist. Is he the creepiest close talker he got you've ever seen? too close to people's faces. Is that the weird guy that was overacting? Yeah. The, is that what his name was? <laughs> yeah. You could say that about anybody, really. (laughs) He was the only guy that wasn't military. It was specifically no. This was a soldier. Which one was the soldier? Okay, he wasn't officially part. Where he wasn't officially part of this brigade or whatever troop. troop. Oh, the driver. Then then they like found him later. That guy. Yeah, that was (laughs) in the first episode. He's only credited as driver, and then he's driver (laughs) Evans. But yeah, he was going hard, but he was the comedy character. And he's also supposed to kind of make you think that he's the mole because he shows up late. 
Mm-hmm. But this dude, the reporter, like clear, like it feels like he's never been on TV. So probably been in the theater for years. Someone told him, oh, when you're on TV, you got to be in frame. So you got to get real close <laughs> to the people you're talking to. Because <laughs> like when he finds or when um when Staff Sergeant finds him uh, in the last episode, I thought they were going to start making out. Yes. <laughs> like he, oh, for sure. He is on that dude's face. He was just clinging and to God him. God bless Jack Wolgar because he like. Just look at that guy. There's no way his breath smells good. <laughs> I mean, it's England in the 60s. And that dude is just taking it and, like, trying his best to, like, give him something. Like, he's nodding and, like, moving his eyes, even though the camera's, like, on his side. And then the last shot is uh, the daughter, who Anna? Anne. Yeah, Anna Travers. The last shot is him and Anna as he's trying to be like, so tell me about this time machine. And she's like, oh, brother. But he is so much in her space <laughs> that she cannot wait to turn her head up and to the left <laughs> to deliver her line. <laughs> he is all over her. Yeah, that guy, he, he was a lot. And he was only in like, what, two episodes of the whole story? Because he yeah, disappeared he in, like, for a long intro, time. And then, yeah. I, I think it's gone. episode three that he... Le- so he's in one co- quite a bit while they're figuring out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then... Well, he's in the one when the brig shows up. And the brig, like, kind of tricks him into just going and waiting in the break room. But then he learns something and he bails. Because he's going to go find the TARDIS. But we're supposed to think he's the one that let the Yeti in. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then he shows up again at the end, and he's just been wandering around in the tunnels, so we're still supposed to be suspicious of him. Yeah, talk about people or characters that were missing for a while. Did the Doctor get his uh, holiday break in this story? Yes. Because <laughs> it, like, it didn't seem like a Doctor Who episode, because the Doctor wasn't in it for a good chunk of it, but it still moved and was a good story. Like, it, it was great. Oh, yeah. He had, he had a holiday for episode two. I feel like it was two and three. Like he didn't show up <laughs> till the brig showed up. Uh, I think I think we see the brig's feet at the end of three. Maybe it's the end of two. Then they had someone else stand in for him because uh, they didn't want to pay him for another week. Oh no! Victoria's dress in this series was a choice by the producer for sure. I... Terry, what the fuck is that thing she was wearing? It was an incredible choice. It hurt to look at. I mean, right away in the beginning when she's like, I found this. It's like, okay, she clearly cannot dress herself, which now it shows because she's got like this terrible little plain smock, which then she throws over this glittery vest covered in giant necklaces and tassels. And it's like, what happened to you? And the doctor (laughs) and Jamie being out. Why did they write that in? Yeah, Jamie, tell her she looks good, right? And she was like, yeah, what? That whole scene was weird. Because she's a girl, Sam. It was weird. <laughs> you have to compliment girls or they get all pissy. <laughs> yeah, the only thing good that her outfit did was when she took off a necklace to, like, breadcrumb trail where she was in a tunnel. And it's like, oh, you needed to remove so many more articles to make that outfit look good. <laughs> <laughs> so the sparkly bit was a separate bit that she added on and it wasn't, like, sewn in? Yep. Yeah, because it's a vest okay. that has, like, a ring... Uh, clasp in the front. It, it was throwing me. Yeah. 
Can you imagine if she just had that glittery part on? How incredible that would be? <laughs> okay, settle down, you fucking old man. <laughs> it would have been it would have been like uh like the uh the slave Leia from Star Wars. Yeah. It'd been like cabaret or something. <laughs> Put it away, both of you. But no, 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 no. I thought uh Anne was awesome. Like she just especially she when, was like, very the, good. Soldiers were like, oh, what are you doing here? A woman in a military compound? And she's like, yeah, I wanted to be a scientist, so I became a scientist. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. What's a woman like you doing here? Yeah. Well, I wanted to be a scientist, so I became a scientist, and now I'm doing science. <laughs> <laughs> Your move, idiot. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. <laughs> How does anybody get a job, dipshit? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then just her working with the doctor, like, those scenes were super fun. Like, they were just clicking on all of their intellectual levels and just following along. It was really fun to watch yeah, those two. Yeah, it, uh, it makes you kind of wonder what it would be like if the doctor did have, like, a proper smart companion ever. Mm -hmm. like, like, obviously, like, Ian and Barbara are smart, they're teachers, but, like, a science-y person. Like, uh, I guess Ian was... Uh, chemist chemistry teacher i can't remember but like even in new who if he had a companion who was like if um if what's her nuts had actually got on the tardis um the unit chick who's a scientist oh yeah Ooh. osgood if osgood had actually joined the tardis team and then you could do things like they're doing here where he'd be like oh hey I can explain all this sciencey stuff, but in a way where instead of like telling Jamie like something he's not gonna understand, I could just be having a dialogue instead because the doctor's constantly in all of Doctor Who over the whole six years, constantly monologuing to themselves to explain to the audience what's going on. And it'd be so nice if like you could just write it in a natural conversation where they're explaining what they're doing because the person they're talking to would understand it. I think the closest we got to that was uh, River and Jack, right? Because they would at least understand each other on a certain level. And you do get that a bit with few companions who are from the future. The next um, female companion we get is going to be from the far future in 60s who, um, yeah, Jack, like, at least is like... He knew time they travel. Leave, yeah, they can leave and have him, like, stay there and work on the TARDIS and be like, okay, that's... That explains how we get to that next part, and then we don't have to have Jack in the next two scenes. So that works. But I mean, like, just a proper companion who's just, like, isn't, doesn't say stupid shit, like, you know, not understanding how time travel works. would be like, but if I die here, I'll never have been born. <laughs> just slap him in the face. <laughs> I love oh, that they man. left Victoria to tell Anne about time travel. It's like, oh, I want to see that conversation. <laughs> right yeah is that the second time in a row they've like they've tried to force victoria into like technical uh explanation of what's going on <laughs> oh when they're in the break room well in, in and he's, he's like oh tell like, us men are gonna go do stuff tell tell uh anna what's been going on yeah but then there's also wasn't it in the last story where or maybe I'm thinking of the 
like the actual last Yeti story where they're like, well, what kind of dr- engines do- does it have? You're in the ship. Like, tell <laughs> <Right>. us. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the Ice Warriors. Ice Warriors. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of, it's weird, like, how would they just decide to not really just use the fact that she's from the 1800s or that JB is from the 1600s? Like, they, they give Jamie just way too much credit all the time <laughs> it's but you know what are you gonna do you're making a show for contemporary 60s kids jamie is the best jazz player he just fucking rolls with it <laughs> he is like the like perfect wingman <laughs> he's just like oh what are we doing you got it like yeah. he's always he's the best improviser he's he's always saying yes yes and from this guy yes and <laughs> I thought the army fight in episode four was really fun to watch. That was an action-packed battle. I wanted them to throw more grenades. Right? Oh, I do remember that now. It's like, what? Over the top, gents. (laughs) (laughs) But this is why Nicholas Courtney is so good. Like, first of all, his demeanor is incredible. He's the perfect like TV military dad. His voice just booms over everybody. You can always hear him no matter what's going on. And he's not yelling. He just has this incredible voice. And him just spouting out commands, just like somehow, even though he's just like this deadpan military delivery, he like livens up scenes like that. And whereas like in the war machines, when we just have a bunch of army guys, you know, shooting at boxes getting knocked over in, in complete fucking silence. <laughs> it, it, it just like creates a whole new atmosphere by just having someone like him who is just like charisma on screen. Yeah. He was, he was really good. I, I enjoyed Lethbridge Stewart. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Like just his presence was fun to watch. It was, it was good. Yeah. He's a fucking star. He was, like, he was, he you was just really see him good. on camera and you want to keep looking at him. That's A pluses for casting. Like, way to go. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Janelle, who we'll get to her tweet later, made me put this in our fun facts. Nicholas Courtney was originally cast as Captain Knight, the guy that died. And David Langton, who I'm sure is a big name, was cast as Lethbridge Stewart. But Langton backed out when he was offered what, in his mind, was a like a sweeter gig. And so they moved Nicholas Courtney to Lethbridge Stewart, and Nicholas Courtney ended up being in 107 episodes of Doctor Who. Oh my god, is, is that a legit number, Jake? Yeah. Oh my gosh. He's in a lot. He's, Nine he's, he's, he, he's going to be in it through the 80s. He's in the last episode of Classic Who. Wow. And And he does an episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures. Which we will never watch. Oh no. <laughs> Nope. Uh, and I, there were they were always kind of throwing around ideas for him to show up in Doctor in New Who, but uh, just never happened. And then he passed during Matt Smith's tenure. I think he was born in twenty nine. He'd be ninety four right now. It'd be so cool because th- we're getting a unit spinoff show when the show comes back next year. It'd be so cool if there's just some way to put him in there. If if he was alive, obviously, we we don't need a. Uh, you don't want uh, AI? Grand Moff Tarkin, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Hologram. Hologram. So I haven't seen this episode, and seeing that character, like, just hit that character so hard. Like, he didn't lean into anything. Like, he just is Lethbridge Stewart, and it's that character as far as I've seen, or as many as episodes as I've seen. And he's just such a, man, mm-hmm. good actor, nailed the character. It's incredible. Um, and we will see him one more time in the second Doctor's era. And then almost constantly through the first few seasons of the third Doctor. And then kind of, sp- you know, sporadically for the next 15 years after that. I'm in. Something to look forward to. <laughs> Is he considered a companion or no? Well, that's one of the great debates. Does he ever because get he... in the TARDIS? Uh, I mean, big spoiler, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, companion. <laughs> <laughs> He's in there with like a bunch of people, and I don't think it moves. I think they just go in to like look around and then come out. Oh, so like a traveling fake companion. But I mean, that it's that big debate about like what makes a companion. And... uh for me, like pr- pretty soon or sometime next year, we're going to do a draft where you guys are going to draft a team against each other. And there's going to be categories like doctors, companions, friends, villains and monsters. I would say he's a friend like he doesn't like I always count companions as like the the advertised companion. So like during Rose's time, Rose is a companion. Mickey was not. Oh, come Jack on. was not. But during Amy's time, Rory was a companion because he was advertised as being the male companion. <laughs> hey, anyway. Mickey. Hey. <laughs> no. <laughs> the good old days. No. I remember those days. Remember when Mickey got eaten by a garbage can? Yeah, I'm surprised you do because <laughs> it was the first episode and you've never rewatched it. It's <laughs> great. Mickey's great. <laughs> Yeah, if only that guy hadn't ruined everything by being a creep. Oh, no. I lose track of all the creeps on this show. There's so many. <laughs> so far, just Mickey and Jack. No. Jack Jack just whips his dick out against everybody's wishes just all the time. Get shift on. And then refuses to apologize. <laughs> that was a terrible <laughs> time to do that. <laughs> but Mickey, like... uh like his driver in the morning would be taking him to set or taking him home at the end of the day and he'd be like hey i bet you want to fuck me (laughs) and she complained and she got demoted and chris rackleson quit the show yikes um speaking of get a shift on yes we gotta get a shift on from none other than oh that's right i yeah we did her left for (laughs) stewart was it from him? Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, I think it was. I thought it was Captain Knight. No, I refuse to I don't him. think it was. Is that <laughs> staff? <laughs> no, I thought it was staff. And he's like, didn't tell him oh, to get a shift on. Oh, I bet you yeah. it was yeah. staff. I know that I was halfway asleep and they said it and I perked up and I said, get shift on. Yeah. So it could have been any episode. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> well, I was on an airplane, so it was not the last two. I Last night I fell asleep during the last episode, but I watched it again today while on the treadmill. <laughs> That's what I need to do to keep me awake. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> um, you want to do some tweets? Well, I was I was going to ask, do you, uh, do you guys 
So the last time we saw the Great Intelligence, he was embodied in some like old corpse person, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he had like this. But he was keeping him alive. He wasn't a corpse. Padma Sandova was alive. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he had this weird uh and it was, this was all animated, and I wanted to see like how this looked in real life. And in this one, he he takes over the professor's body and has that same like cadence and way of speaking. And I gotta give it to the actor for like taking that and be like, oh, this is how the great intelligence speaks, so I'm gonna do it too. I I think it was pretty different. I don't I don't think it you was, watched another guy. But it was very like Inhaley. I think it's just an old British actor guy. <laughs> like, this is my regal speech. But that other dude was, like, super whispery. That's what I'm saying. It was very, like, inhaley and, like, labored speaking and, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, awkward. And I, I felt like he did do his homework and he and he he, he wanted to do it like that. Because I was like, man, this is this is, like, almost exactly what that corpse thing was speaking. And it... it it was just cool to watch and creepy, and I, I, I think I like the Great Intelligence. <laughs> I think when the Great Intelligence voice is coming out of the speaker, it's very similar. But when he comes into the room with that thing on his head, I think even that's quite different than when it's coming out of the speaker. Okay, the mm, fact that yeah. this Yeti episode is higher than the other Yeti episode, <laughs> I disagree with. <laughs> because it's way better. Yeah, <laughs> I disagree. Also, can we have the guns that the Yetis had? Like those webs are ridiculously strong. They stopped explosions. <laughs> like, why don't we have that in Unit or <laughs> like in anything else? They really reminded me of Killer Clowns from Outer Space with the cotton candy. Oh, also, okay, I see. Why it now. <laughs> do the Yetis and Great Intelligence always go together? Because the Great Intelligence created the Yetis. They're just useful. It's yeah. like can't they're just that Can't they use something else? Well, they eventually use something else. So but... in the previous yeah. story, the Great Intelligence had been there for 300 years because that's how long it took them to make their machine out of the crude materials available to them in the 30s. He made Yeti because they were in the uh, Himalayas. Yeah, the Tibetan... And Space. And they could, he could like use them to create like fear from the monks. Now it's forty years later. He has made his way into space. The great intelligence, <laughs> it has made his way into space, but it still has these monk or these uh, yeti robots, and it's just in London now. <laughs> Wasn't the great intelligence always in space? I don't mm. know. <laughs> It wasn't explained a ton in, but something we have not talked about, the doctor kind of loses in this story because his friends save him. Yeah. They botch his plan and the great intelligence lives on. It was very strange that that whole scene when he's just like screaming no and like trying to pull himself back in. I initially thought it was because the doctor was like somehow still connected to the intelligence and the intelligence was like enticing him to stay in there. So Jamie was like actually saving him against the intelligence's like persuasion or will. And then Mm -hmm. the doctor was like, you fool. I changed the wires. 
This happened to me because I was kind of dozing in and out the first time I saw it, and I did not see the scene where he changes the wires around on the hat that they make him wear. Oh. So if you missed that part, it's not clear what's going on. But if you caught that, then you're like, oh, he knows what's going to happen. And the Great Intelligence has one of the hats on, too. And so he basically reverses the polarity. So he was going to suck the Great Intelligence into his brain? Is that what's happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but instead, because they pulled him out, it just caused a feedback loop yeah. and it fried fried the guy's body. That's really kind of crazy, though, because the doctor was putting all of his eggs in a basket and was committing to, if it doesn't work, to just being a child. And Jamie and uh, <laughs> oh. Victoria are going to raise him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'd be pretty good parents. I think Jamie so. seems like a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, it's nineteen seventy five. Like all the awful things in american history are about to happen (laughs) (laughs) but they're in they're they're in uh the uk yeah so so some other things uh so they left the great intelligence alive they never use that in classic who again what it's not until it's not until the matt smith era that we get the next great intelligence story perfect (laughs) which you guys have already seen You've seen both the beginning and the end of The Great Intelligence. Because the first story, The Snowmen, where we first meet the... Or, I guess we meet the second Clara that dies. The Great... That's in the 1860s. And so that's before the Abominable Snowmen. And in that story, Matt Smith gives The Great Intelligence the idea for this story. Oh. I don't know if you remember, but at the very end, Matt Smith brings that memory worm to the Great Intelligence and has it bite the body that the Great Intelligence oh, has taken yeah. over. Um Richard E. Grant. And it's in a lunchbox that has a map of the London Underground on it. And he says out loud, say I wrote it down here. He says he says out loud that the London Underground is a key strategic weakness in metropolitan living. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then at the end of that season, in the name of the Doctor, we see the Great Intelligence's end when it jumps into the Doctor's timeline to invade his history, and then Clara jumps in to wipe him out. <laughs> Crazy. So how many foes have we seen the beginning and end of? That's a big question. Probably mm-hmm. a ton, because a lot of them are one-offs, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah, but they're always possible, I guess. You know, it's always, it's always possible something could come back. It's just wibbly-wobbly, so who really knows what's the beginning and what's the end? Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Adversaries from Classic Who have we seen the end of? Is is the Great Intelligence the first one? Um, I suppose. You mean monsters that came back or villains that came back and then were defeated? I mean, we've seen Davros die like four times. I was going to say, I feel like we constantly think they're dead. But then surprise, here they are again. We've We've seen the final end of the Daleks a couple times. I mean, didn't we see the end of the Master as well? But no, then he came back. Never mind. 
Oh, ma- many times. Yeah. Probably the Cybermen <laughs> probably died at some point. I found the artwork for Doctor Who and the Web of Fear, and the Yeti is shooting laser beams <laughs> yes. on the side on staff. That so is that's a novelization. Watch. These are called the Target novels. Target's the publishing company. They did novelizations of all the episodes of Doctor Who, of Classic Who. So, and they've done some of New Who now. But, uh, so for a lot of kids who grew up loving Doctor Who, because the 60s ones were lost, that's how they learned those stories, was from these books. And Terrence Dix, who will be the script editor for a big chunk of the 70s, he wrote a lot of the Target novelizations. Oh. Hmm. But yes, the cover of the novelization for The Web of Fear is a Yeti shooting lasers out of his eyes at a soldier. That's It looks Jake, like Steph. That's that the Steph. story yeah. I want to watch. And the Yeti in this also looks like a really fat Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> really disgusting body proportions. <laughs> but also, Web of Fear, like, there were no spiders. I was very disappointed. Yeah, the Yetis were the spiders the whole time. What was that episode watch? What is that episode? story what's the story that had like the bees (laughs) the web planet okay i was like is this gonna be something like that and i don't know if i can do that again (laughs) Again, giant insects everywhere (laughs) that also wasn't spiders what the fuck webs or spiders (laughs) (laughs) how do you guys feel about a story that has six episodes and four of them are recons but they're on britbox Hashtag should have been a one-parter. I feel, oh, no. I feel bad about it, um, but I, I will watch It's it. one I've never seen, and I think we're going to do it because I want to. Okay. <laughs> and it's the intro of a new companion. And it's down the line. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but it's something I've been tossing around for a while. All right. We're getting on. We're getting a little long in the tooth here. Let's do some tweets. Alex, give me a tweet theme song. Or an X. Give me a post. <laughs> oh, fuck. I gotta oh, figure no. out a whole different thing. Um, just do it, but instead of saying tweet, just say X. <laughs> X, 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 But a tweet isn't an X. Like, it's a post on X. So we're reading X posts. This feels too meta. The last thing I heard is Musk is also going to take away the ability to block somebody. Which is a big yikes, by the way. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you let that man keep harassing you. Yeah, there's creepy people. I I block people on social media yeah, for sure. Obviously. <laughs> okay, BT Flippity Giggit at your cool ninety one says the first story for a hot minute to be set in at least semi-contemporary UK in what will eventually become a very familiar formula. I still want to bite A, whatever private collector stole episode 3, and B, whatever moron decided to use that hideous motion capture style for the one episode animation. Interested to see what the Marrieds think of the future Brigadier in his first appearance. I think we all love the Brig. So yeah. This brings me, I, I really wanted to talk about this animation to you guys. It looks like Human Fall Flat, the game. Like, <laughs> it's like, just like blocks with like the person's face like glued what? onto it. But it's done in CGI. 
So there's like these cool like 3D environments (laughs) that they move the camera around, but they did not do anything to the characters at all. Oh no. So they're they're all just block movements and their hands don't move. It's so (laughs) weird. If you're an animation company and you like you write like an episode of an animated show, you make up an animatic that you send to the animation studios or the the animators so they know what to draw and like what the character movements are supposed to be and you know kind of like the blocking that's what this looked like that someone just quickly made an animatic in their high school class that they're going to send off to be animated by professionals it's absolutely insane it's so weird looking wow and that's on the dvd yeah as soon as i started watching it i was so mad that you guys weren't watching it with me because I just <laughs> wanted to talk about it, but I was the only one that got to see it. And that's that's wild. Janelle Hobbs at J. Christine H. says, A base under siege lives and dies. Oh, this is where I heard this. I thought this was on the <laughs> I thought this was on the DVD, but this was just me reading Janelle's tweets earlier today. <laughs> um, a base under siege lives and dies by the cast. And the characters of the base. And everyone is on top form here. Anne, Professor Travers, Silverstone, Blake, Knight, Chorley, Arnold, etc. They are all well-defined, active characters with all their own motivations. And let's not forget one Alistair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart, who becomes one of the most enduring characters of the show. You can see why they latched onto him. Authoritative, sharp-witted, charismatic, and unflappable. And a lot of that comes down to Nicholas Courtney. I also think a base under siege also works best when it is firmly planted in a specific genre and not the sum total of the story. Here we have a smashing mystery story bordering on mystery th- thriller. So that's the thing I said earlier that I thought I heard someone say, but it was, it was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> everyone is a suspect to everyone, and there are twists and turns throughout. The great intelligence and yetis work even better here, in my opinion, and it's nice to have an ally returning too in Travers. The script, set design, music, and direction are all stellar. Douglas Canfield is rightfully considered one of the best Doctor Who directors. Overall, a 10 out of 10. I could spend all day gushing over Charlton's performance, but suffice to say, I think it's among the best. But even here, it's hard to pick an MVP. And then she sends another tweet just for me, not you guys, demanding that I include the 11th Doctor fun fact the fact that Nicholas Courtney was cast as somebody else and the accusations of illegally filming in the, in the underground demanded it. So I put all that in because <laughs> Janelle told me to, I'm nothing if not a people pleaser. <laughs> I feel like I'd know it's a good base under sea story. If I remember the names of the characters, just at all. And there's, there's so many of like those first doctor stories where it's just like, Everyone they're interacting with just has like a number on their sleeve and they're number one, number two, number three. But to actually have a, like, it's not a a huge cast, but it's big enough. And to have all these people. And I I think enemy of the world was the same. Like you knew all those characters. They all had good characterizations and good stories. And uh, yeah, it's just a fucking banger. And then James Courtney and Mr. J Courtney, I believe uh, he's the father of Nicholas Courtney. Says, it's good, <laughs> but a tad overrated. The Abominable Snowman is better. That's just not true. 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 <laughs> you, you said that earlier, Sam. True. 
<laughs> Thank you. I can now edit out all that <laughs> silence in between me accusing you and you agreeing. <laughs> Terry, now's your chance. What you got? Oh my god. Uh, I mean, it's more just like funny bits and stuff like that. Like when the doctor is trying to fix the uh, ball for the Yeti and it's not working and he just slaps it and it starts working and it's like, yay, technology! Like, I like the little moments like that. Those are super fun. Or at the end when, <laughs> what was it? The doctor has like the brain piece on and he's walking into the pyramid and it's like someone held up a sign, everyone whisper something and they're all just like, oh my god, what is he doing? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, why? Why are you guys doing this? <laughs> just shut up and let him walk in there. Just... That one seems stupid. Uh, but I really enjoyed the first guy that we got to see, uh, Mr. Silverstein. Like, he was just some crotchety oh, old yeah. guy who had the Yeti. And he's like, I'm not selling it to you, Travers. And then he dies. I'm like, aw, sad. <laughs> I was wanting more of him. I think they originally wanted to shoot that scene in the Natural History Museum in London. And we're told no. <laughs> so they just made it in his house. Hmm. Like he's going to be like a curator of a museum instead of just like a private collector. There's one thing Janelle said I wanted to mention. She says that like fuck the person or she says she wants to bite. I'm I'm making it uh, grosser because I'm gross. Fuck the dude who like took episode three. I mentioned this a long time ago when we were talking about found episodes. So. This story, we always had episode one, I think. And when they found Enemy of the World, they found this one, too, complete in, um, I think, Nigeria. And in the time it took them to get from there back to the BBC, someone stole episode three. It's gone. But they swear that they had it. Well, fuck that guy. Yeah. Or fuck <laughs> that person. <laughs> All right, Terry, you done? I got some a couple more fun facts. Yeah, last thing I want to say, do we know what happened to the sample of the fungus that the doctor had in that tobacco tin? Or did it legit just disappear? Are you asking questions about the plot? I mean, a little bit. I thought it was a, a fun uh, twist because that threw uh, Evans uh, in the Yeah, it was just another, in the dark. another way to suspect Evans. Mm -hmm. Got a couple more... <laughs> Fun facts here. The year that this story takes place is not directly said in the story. Uh, when Travers meets Jamie and Victoria again, he says, oh, God, it's been f uh, 40 years. But he's you don't know if he's being exact or if he's like rounding down or up. If it's 40 years, that would make this story 1975 because the Abominable Snowman was 1935. There's a novel called Who Killed Kennedy, which says that this story takes place in August 1966, which is even before it actually aired. So it would be in the past if you're watching it. There's a novelization of the novel Downtime and the novel Revolution Man and a mockumentary called Global Conspiracy that all place the story in February 1969. Uh, there's a short story called The Unit Article in a 1991 Doctor Who magazine that makes it 1971. And then a future second Doctor story that we're going to see soon that has the Brigadier in it 
uh, says that for him, it's four years later when he's meeting the doctor again. And in that story, it's 1975. So that would make this 1971. So yeah, who knows when the story takes place. In current Who, anytime they do a unit story, they always make jokes about when the doctor was in unit. If it's the 70s or 80s, because they always put the unit stories in the future. So they can have like some cool tech. And, but also the writers don't always know that. And sometimes they just, <laughs> a story might take place in the 70s. Uh, the next one might be in the 80s. The one after that might be in the 70s. And it just doesn't matter. So we have that to look forward to. Time is just a big ball. <laughs> Wibbly wobbly. It's like a bowl this is the last, <laughs> <laughs> This is the last story. To use 35mm film when shooting on location. Thank God. They will use... Didn't we say they'll this use already? 16... Finally nope, HD. that was a different thing. I can't wait. They will use 16mm film from now on when on location. I don't know what that means. They're adding a couple millimeters, bro. Yeah. 16mm is what Christopher Nolan uses. You don't know Christopher Nolan? He's the Batman guy. I'm Batman. Oppenheimer, the movie that's out right now that just crossed the $400 million mark. I've been trying to get my money to it, but I can't. You say that like that's impressive, but how about the Barbie facts? <laughs> Ooh. It is impressive <laughs> when you consider that Oppenheimer's rated R. Like, it had the it had the second biggest ever Monday for a rated R movie in, in its first Monday. <laughs> If, I've already uh, asked Alex this trivia question, but if anyone could tell me what number one is, I'll give you a buffalo nickel. <laughs> I don't watch your buffalo nickel. Yeah, <laughs> we're all dead silent. I do. I it do, was de- it was Deadpool too. I do want your wheat penny though. Take that. Oh, wheat I got penny. fucking yeah. loads of those. <laughs> I would like a Jackson five. <laughs> Jackson's on the twenty. I was like, is that no? Right? That joke has multiple levels because the Jackson Five is actually I a band. First, I was keeping it going, and then <laughs> Sam <laughs> sat on it. <laughs> if I if I would have known a Jackson Five song, I would have I would have you know broke out. A B C. Oh there, yeah, yeah, yeah. One, two, three. <laughs> Deborah Watley loved telling stories about. Um, Troughton and Fraser Hines playing pranks on her, which they did all the time. This story I found Fraser Hines actually tells on the DVD. But there's a scene where that you guys or um Terry brought up where she drops her necklace so they can find it. Fraser Hines oh, went yeah. to wardrobe and got a pair of ladies' underpants. <laughs> and at, when he's supposed to pick up the necklace, he picks up a pair of ladies' underwear. And says, oh, these are Victoria. She must be going this way. And then Patrick Troughton grabs them and looks at them and goes, oh, yes, they are. They? Yes, this must be hers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> In that scene, her dad, Jack Watley, is with them. And he grabs them and goes, how do you know they're hers? <laughs> and they, everyone starts laughing. Jeez. A fun little story. <laughs> Not sexist. Not weird at all. Normal thing. Fraser Hines is the world's biggest horn dog. <laughs> so Jamie and Victoria are slamming, right? Like they're they're like that's just known. I don't know. They, I think they are. They have to be. She again. We talked about this before. She's supposed to be quite younger than him. 
Yeah, but this is back in the day where that was normal, right? Yeah, that never stopped a Scotsman. <laughs> Get fucked, Scotland. Boom. Yeah, but someone of her class, I don't think would... She'd be trained to not... do Well, no, because they would marry young. She's wearing miniskirts. She's a fucking slut. That's true. She's she's branching out. She's done it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last one. This is originally supposed to be the finale of this season. It would give a little more space in between the great intelligence stories. But uh, the next story that we're going to watch next week wasn't ready yet. They The <laughs> script needed some rewrite, so they had to bump it up. Neat. <laughs> I like to look at the ratings. We've been at kind of like a steady, like we've definitely dropped from the end of the first Doctor's era, but we're kind of holding steady. And this this story actually gets a bit of a bump. Episode 1 was 7.2 million. Episode 2 was 6.8. Episode 3 was 7. Episode 4, 8.4. Episode 5, 8.0. And episode 6, 8.3. So I wonder if there weren't some ads for the fourth episode being like, oh, this is when there's all the guns and explosions. And the kids are like, fuck yes. Right. Count me in. <laughs> hey, Sam. Hey, Jake. Oh, no. Who's your MVP? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Get fucked. Cody. Oh, wait, Sam. Any reason? I remembered his parts more than anyone else's parts. I remember that he was in this he one, was... man. It's a name I remember from Doctor Who. <laughs> I mean, not not completely wrong. <laughs> Cody. Jack Wolgar. Yeah, boy, he's mine too. He was so good. And we'll have plenty of time to heap praise on Nicholas Courtney. Terry. I'm going with the writers Marvin Heisman and uh, Henry Lincoln. And uh, they're the same writers as Abominable Snowmen. Well, they did not better in this one. <laughs> Just minus, <agree>. um, <laughs> minus, I think Victor Pemberton. He also wrote, helped them with that script. But they do get a little in here by saying that, like, at one point, like, "Oh, I'm from Colonel Pemberton's group. They're all dead." <laughs> when uh, when Evan shows up. Wait, can I change mine to the fog machine? <laughs> Uh, it's a foam machine, so no, you cannot. Oh, f- even better. Sounds amazing. <laughs> Alex. I'm going with the Watlings together. It was incredible. Terry. Yes. Did you already go? Yeah. You said the writers? I said the writers. Okay. <laughs> like, what just else say, do I got to do? <laughs> well, Jill's not here, so I, I really just go off of cadence. Like, I would actually listen to you guys. <laughs> oh, okay. That's you just gave me a hard time about my pick, Jake. <laughs> well, you didn't do the one thing we're supposed to do, which is watch Doctor Who. <laughs> For next time. We've got six episodes. They are all animated. They're not on Britbox, but they are on Prime where I can buy the whole thing as a season so I don't have to buy DVDs for everybody. Woo! So your only option will be to watch them in color, animated, and I'll send a link tomorrow it's called fury from the deep alex has seen it i don't remember if terry was part of that i feel like i was cool (laughs) 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 Uh, good back and forth that's everything alex saw dude 
Do the song. This has been Married Who, our episode on the Web of Fear. If you want to participate in our discussion, you can do so on Twitter or whatever it's called at Married Who Pod. If you want to listen to any episodes that are older than our most recent 100 episodes, you can do so on our website, marriedtohoo.com. On behalf of myself, Jake, Cody, Sam, Alex, Jill, somewhere out there, and Terry. Thank you so much for listening. Please join us next time for Fury from the Deep.